Welcome to the Run for PRs podcast. This is your host, Victoria Phillippe. The Run for PRs podcast was created to give away the secrets to transform your training to reach your goals. We ask all the expert run coaches and athletes the questions that you've been dying to know the answers to. We will get the inside scoop on what really makes you the best athlete that you can be. Have you ever seen a fast runner and wonder, wow, how did they get so fast? Well, then this podcast is for you. We are going to do a deep dive to reveal the secrets to reaching your potential as a runner. Marathon peaking. We're doing a marathon training check-in to see where you should be, you know, two to three months out from your goal marathon, or maybe it's a half marathon. I think you can still get a lot of good tips off of this podcast, even if you're not training for a marathon, because we're going to talk about different race distances as well. But we are inching closer to those fall races, and we're really entering that peak training phase for many athletes. We wanted to do a check-in to see kind of where you should be at and what you should be thinking about during this time as we're prepping for the fall season marathons. I know it's been a long summer. A lot of people are, you know, it's peak heat right now and it can be kind of a grind. And so we just wanted to do this check-in to give some pointers, advice, how you should be feeling and what your training should maybe look like during this time. Um, if you're not training with us, we'll kind of give specifics um, to what your training should look like, but also just talking about how you should maybe be feeling during this time because that's just as important because um, everyone's so different and everyone's training plan is going to look very different, but how you feel should pretty much be you know consistent. Um, we want people feeling good right now. So I have with me today Jason Philby, who is a, he's been coaching for almost a decade now. Um, he has been working at Run for PRs as a coach, and he has a lot of experience with Lifetime Run, um, working at the college level, coaching athletes, and at the high school level for a very long time. Um, but definitely well-versed in the marathon. I think he's done about nine marathons now, um, done Boston several times. So definitely knows um, the ins and outs of the marathon as well as the shorter distances. Um, he's a 113 half marathoner, 246 marathoner, and just still you know out there running after 20 years of experience. Um, I myself, Victoria Philippi, I have ran... 19 marathons now, which is crazy to say. Um, I had lots of halves, and we're just excited to kind of share some of our experience with you guys. So, Jason, to kick things off, um, you know, are you training for a fall race or kind of like what is your personal training cycle looking like this year compared to different years? Because maybe some people listening, they're not training for a fall marathon, but they still kind of want to get into that training grind and what would that look like for someone who maybe doesn't have an actual marathon on the calendar? Because I know a lot of these races have been canceled with the COVID-19. Some people are choosing not to do the marathon and maybe they're doing a virtual race. Is there any way that you can still kind of feel like you're in a marathon training cycle, but not actually have that end marathon be there? Yeah. I mean, there definitely is. And I think it's actually a good thing to feel like you are, you know, putting in the same the same type of work that you would be doing during a marathon cycle. Um, just because, you know, r- what we know about running and it's a cumulative sport over time, the consistency is really what's going to make you a stronger runner. And so if you feel like you're doing, um, you know, more than what you've done in the past, or at least, you know, what, you know, equal to the amount of running you've done in the past for other marathon and, and, and um, races that you've 
train for. I think that that that's a good starting point, and it's just good to stay on that that pace right now. And if if you're someone like me who's kind of unsure of their fall race outlook, just because you're you're kind of waiting to hear if your race is going to get canceled or if they're going to have it. Um, I think it's best to just kind of keep doing what you're doing. And again, we've, we've done podcasts on the, the really long runs, and that's really the one thing that maybe would be different for you if you're training for like a half versus a full, right? Um, so basically just incorporating a fair amount of long runs, but you don't need to do so many runs over 16 or 18 miles. Um, and then as far as, you know, this is the time where you're, you're typically about two to three months out from a major race. You, you want to start to feel pretty confident in your in your training and where your fitness is at so that you can start to get into the bulk or the meat of your harder training, right? So we're going to have some harder workouts, some of your longest workouts probably to date, like your midweek workouts might be up to uh, 10 miles or 12 miles. It depends on what level you're at. But again, these are going to be your longer tempos and you're definitely going to want to feel properly. And we'll talk about that today because most of you are in parts of the country where it's very warm and summer is very, very difficult time for training. So, um, just kind of being smart with your training, making sure you're giving your body that ample time to recover. Um, and you know, the fun part is the unknown at this point, but I think that every mile matters. So no matter what happens this fall with your race, you know, there's always going to be hopefully races in 2021 and, and beyond. So you're setting yourself up um, for, for success in the future. Yeah, totally. And I love how you kind of brought that up. Like this year is so different and so weird in so many ways with uh, COVID-19 and everything being canceled, shut down. Um, And really, honestly, we're sitting here. uh, We're actually recording this about, you know, six weeks in advance here. And even in the next six weeks, things are going to change, you know. So right now, everything is still pretty much canceled. Um, Races are getting canceled into September. I think the Berlin Marathon just canceled. Um, So it's just tough to know really what's what's going to be out there um, when it comes to fall races. Uh, you know, a lot of people are signed up for, you know, Chicago, Indy, CIM, and they're still so far out where it's like it, they definitely still could be a go. Um, but there's also new um, kind of guidelines that are coming out from the CDC. You know, we just recently got an email from Lifetime Fitness who puts on a lot of events um, throughout the country. And, you know, Torchlight 5K is one of the 5Ks they do in the cities, uh, the Turkey Trot 5K is another one they put on, but they put on really large events. I think they even do like the Miami um, Marathon, Half Marathon uh, in January, but they asked a series of questions and some of the questions were like, well, would you race with a mask on um, and and all participants must wear masks? Um, Would you participate with a staggered start um, so no one can be six feet apart? which I could see being realistic maybe for people who are at the front of the pack um, where naturally you would see more staggered, you know, running. Um, There's not as many people up there, but, you know, when you get to more of like the average pace of the race, kind of into more of that median pack there, um, I could see that being difficult. But also just a couple questions and things to ask yourself. You know, if if races still do go on and you you have to run with a mask, just wondering and asking yourself, like, you know, is that what you're going to do? And just kind of knowing that that could be um, how some of these races end up going. And it just, there's so many possibilities, if and is and buts. And so it's good to kind of, you know, think it through, figure out what you're going to do, um, regardless of whatever situation. And, you know, like what you were saying, you can still, you know, it's all about the training for us. You know, the races is just kind of like this end thing. And we like to talk about it because it's something to kind of, you know, get excited about and all that stuff. But really, 
you know, even if you're not doing a fall marathon or any fall race whatsoever, you can still train and be in really good shape where at the flip of a hat, you could go and be like, you know what? I can run 26.2 miles today. I can run 13.1 miles today. Um, and you can be in that kind of shape and ready for whatever happens. And if you decide that you're feeling up for it and you want to do like a virtual race or, you want to do something else with your fitness, that's great. But I think there's still so many options and ways to utilize that fitness. Um, And I just think focusing on, you know, don't let, if your goal race does get, you know, canceled or postponed, whatever, I just wouldn't let that kind of get in the way of your training. Um, I would pivot, you know, because the biggest thing is you want to, fitness accumulates on itself. And if you just kind of throw in the towel, you know, midway through a, a training cycle, um, it's just not going to have like the same benefits on your overall fitness over time. So I always think it's really beneficial to kind of stay in that training cycle, you know, even if you don't end up doing the race. I mean, there's been so many times where I even personally have been signed up for a marathon. I think Chicago 2014, um, was in marathon shape pretty much. And we just decided not to, to go, um, just cause I was dealing with like a little flare up thing that was happening. Um, but the thing is, is you can still train for a marathon. You just don't, maybe it's just not your year to do it. Um, and sometimes that happens. I know it's really heartbreaking, but you know, if these races do get canceled, try to stay focused on the positives, like what you're going to gain with all of this fitness that you're accumulating. Keep your eye on the prize. Like, let's say you don't get to race your marathon this year in an official race. Well, guess what? Next fall, you're going to be like twice as fast because you have like two years worth of training experience under your belt. So you're just going to smash out an even faster time um, in the future. And also like, don't let it stop you because your fitness is still there. If you want to do this marathon and if you want to do a race, you can do a marathon virtually. Um, You know, a lot of our training runs are done alone. A lot of people go out and do 20-mile long runs. There's nothing stopping you from doing a 26.2-mile, you know, run if you're in marathon shape and you really want to, like, prove it to yourself. That's really all running is, is proving to yourself um, and doing it for yourself. You don't need to have the whole, you know, race day crowd and camaraderie. Of course, that's fun. That's exciting. But you don't need that. This is just about your fitness and your journey. Um, So just keeping all those things in mind as we kind of move forward into this unknown territory this year. Uh, but yeah, I think back to more of like the specifics and everything, you know, it's been maybe a couple months since you've started or started thinking about marathon training. Maybe you, you kind of haven't been doing as much as you thought you'd be doing, or maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum where you're starting to feel a little bit burnt out, um, of your training. So I guess there's like two different boats here. What should you be doing? You know, if you kind of were like, oops, missed the boat. I haven't really been training for, anything. I I haven't been running as much as I should. I know it's super hot out and I just don't have that motivation or desire. Um, How do you, you know, rebound from that knowing that you only got two to three months left to get to the start line of your marathon or half marathon? Yeah, that's a good question. I I would say you definitely want to be be conservative as far as starting with where you're at. We don't want to just jump up from like 20 to 40 miles in a week. Um, And so, you know, slowly build, but also with the workouts, you don't want to do so many workouts to get your fitness back. Like you can do one solid workout the first couple weeks. And then when you start to feel pretty good, then you can start to incorporate maybe two a week. So um, I would start with maybe like what we call steady state runs. That's a good, good type of workout where you're just, you know, you're, you're running basically about 70% tempo effort. So nothing too fast. You're not going out and doing speed. Um, but you can sustain a steady state for hopefully a couple miles and maybe your first run. If you've literally done hardly any workouts is just, um, maybe like two by a mile or something like that with a minute in between. And then you just slowly add and build to that, you know, week after week. 
Um, a friend of mine, he, he ran with me back in college, um, recently noticed on Garmin, he's been running again. And, you know, he ran like 10 miles at like seven, seven, 12 pace yesterday. And I just was asking him about his running and he's kind of in the same boat. A lot of us are in, he's, he wants to do a marathon in October, um, which would be his first one, but he's unsure if it'll actually happen. And so, um, he's just kind of been doing consistent running. He hasn't gotten into too many workouts yet. I think his longest run is about, um, well back at the time this podcast recorded 12 miles. So. Um, hopefully he gets it up there a little bit higher by July in case his marathon is a full go in, in October. But, um, you know, he's, he's been training smart. And I think that that's really the goal is I looked at his weekly log from each week and it's been very consistent. Um, and you know, some days he, he ran like two, two miles or three miles. It's just cause he didn't probably feel that great. And so he just still recorded, you know, he still got out the door and recorded some miles on those days. So I think just starting with the consistency is the number one thing you can do. Um, depending on how many days a week you're running, you know, let's try to increase that a bit, but you know, you don't need to go from two or three days all the way to six days the first week, you know, you can kind of progress into that. Um, so, you know, be smart about the mileage increases as well as your workouts. Right. Yeah. That's really good advice. You know, the progressive overload principle is so important. So, um, just making sure that you're easing into things, just like you were saying, and it's not all about like the showy workouts and, you know, you might notice that your paces are a lot slower than they were a couple months ago because it is hotter and that's totally okay. So if you're trying to build that long run, let's say you haven't done more than like eight or eight or nine miles, um, and you're going out there, it, it is going to be slower. Um, and so you're just going to have to account for, you know, it's hot. So I'm going to slow down a minute per mile. Um, and we have some conversions that we, we share on our Instagram page about like how much slower per mile you should be running based on the temperature, but just try to get out there early in the day, um, when it's not super, super hot yet. And then just, you know, let yourself go um, a slower pace. And I I sometimes think the time-based running is also a really good idea. So if you've been at 60 minutes for your long run, just the next week, try to add on 10 minutes, you know, add on 15 minutes. Um, Don't worry so much about the mileage, just worry about time on your feet, which is one thing that I think can help a lot of people when they're building. Um, And like you said, kind of making sure you're not overdoing it, not jumping from two days of running per week to six days, just progressively building. Um, but then there's some people who are also on the opposite end of the spectrum here. So maybe, you know, quarantine started and they just were like, I have more time to run. You know, everyone's different. And some people it's like, maybe they don't have, um, any kids at home or maybe they do have kids at home and they're, <laughs> they won't need, they need a break. So they're going out for, you know, 10 mile runs every day or whatever it may be. Um, it's kind of giving some people a little bit of extra time, um, because there's not a bunch of events. There's no happy hour distractions. There's no you know, parties, there's, there's really nothing stopping a lot of people. And so I have heard a lot of people jumping the gun, um, running high, higher mileage weeks than they ever have in their whole life. Um, a lot of people reached out, they said they jumped from like 35 miles to 50 some miles a week. And they're just kind of feeling a little, I don't know, not as sharp, you know, cause when you, when you do that, when you maybe overtrain or hit kind of too high a mileage for where you should be. Um, you might feel good for a couple of weeks, but then eventually, maybe around this time, you're kind of getting to the point where you're like, wow, I really can't do this anymore. Um, so how do you kind of like, you don't want to like overcorrect this, but how do you correct um, someone who's just kind of in a negative headspace because they've been doing a little bit too much and they want to feel still excited by the fall, but they just feel like they really need a break right now? Yeah, that's a good, you know, I was thinking about that same thing, how this time has really been, for some people, it's kind of been a blessing for them to really get out and change something about their training, which will actually help them in the long run. 
Um, but if you were someone that got quite aggressive with, with your increases um, from week to week and you might start to be feeling a little run down right now, I think that that's okay. It's, it's a good time to maybe just take a short break, you know, take a few rest days that you maybe haven't taken in a while, um, allow your body to kind of reset. And then when you come back, maybe we just, we, we cut the mileage and we focus more on um, some sp- some different types of workouts, maybe some speed endurance, for example, or uh, maybe all you were doing was running high mileage. And so now we can incorporate some threshold or tempo work or something. So just kind of make some small changes to your training. Um, but let's reduce the mileage and the volume. Um, cause that my guess is what has caused you to feel this way. Um, you know, and if you are a person that was just starting to hammer it with the workouts, but your mileage remained about the same or consistent to what you've done in the past, then again, same, same thing, same advice goes for you. You could just take a few days, allow your body a chance to regroup and then um, just start running easy miles would be my advice for you. You know, don't worry about the workouts. Just kind of be out there logging the miles, building your base. And, um, you know, and then we'll see where we're at in another month. <clears throat> right. That was really good advice. And, you know, I personally, um, you know, four or five years ago, probably fell victim to this more than once. Um, I think there was one time... This is the dumbest thing ever, but I'm sharing it with you guys so that you learn from my mistakes. I thought it would be cool, um, and I had absolutely no business doing this, but I thought it would be cool to, like, run 100 miles in a week. And part of that, I think my highest mileage week was, like, 80. And, you know, this was, like, pre-kids. I had a lot of time on my hands, clearly, right? So I was, like, doing doubles pretty much every day. And I did a 100-mile week, and it was, like, actually 101 miles. And it just, like, left me feeling so flat. But at the end of the day, um, recovering from doing something like that, I mean, even in one month, I think that month, it was like March 2016 or something, I ran 400 miles that month. It was just insane. I've never ran that much again, but that whole rest of the year, I pretty much just flatlined and like ran slower in every single distance. Um, None of my races were good, but it was because I obviously overdid it Um, for a while. My body was kind of like, nope, you're, you're asking for two from for too much like you can either have your performance or you can have your you know dumb mileage goal of 100 miles a week and we're only going to do one um and so my body you know picked okay we can sustain this miles but we can't like you you don't get to run fast you don't get to pr you don't get to hit um fast speeds and you don't get to enjoy it so i kind of got caught in that trap of overtraining and it took me a long time to over or to correct it but basically what i would recommend for anyone who's going through that now because sometimes i have fallen into that trap again where it's like maybe i hit um you know a 65 mile week and i start to feel like uh uh-oh like this is a little bit too much because normally my sweet spot's in the 50s um i will just kind of back off so i'll take a rest day um and i'll go on a short run like four or five miles whatever see how I feel, you know, after that, but just keeping the mileage lower, um, not pushing the pace, keeping all the runs easy. And then giving myself like about like a week of kind of that down downtime. And then maybe I'll do like a, a workout just to see kind of how I felt on the workout. If I was excited for the workout, um, was I able to hit my paces? And, um, if, if everything kind of goes well, then I will maybe like increase my mileage a little bit back to kind of my normal, threshold of where I would be. Um, so let's say you're someone and you bumped your mileage up to 50 miles a week on accident and you're, you're kind of feeling burnt. I would kind of drop it down to more of like a 20 or 30 for one week, see how you feel. And then, um, and then just figure out what did you use to run for mileage? So if that used to be 40 miles a week, try to get back to that normal. I'll see 40 miles a week. Um, you're not going to lose fitness. You're probably actually going to gain fitness because like I said, 
your body can handle so much stress um, and it's going to react negatively if you put too much load on and if you're actually feeling burnt out right now um, that's actually a pretty bad sign that you did too much and that your body is kind of fighting you on it so you want to be feeling good not like your body is kind of rebelling against you and not giving you the results that you want so I guess that kind of covers like the mileage and where people are at right now with what they've been doing the last couple of months so if you haven't been doing enough we encourage you to kind of increase a little bit but make sure you're only doing a progressive overload approach and not increasing by too much too soon if you have been doing too much we encourage you to kind of ease back um, make sure that you don't like burn out and just cut back that mileage a little bit you're not going to slow down you're actually going to get faster so the next thing that we should kind of get into because when we're talking about these longer distance runs one thing that's really important is the fueling and i know we've done a separate podcast on what sort of fuels to use and like how to fuel specifically and all those things for a marathon and how to start but just kind of touching on that again um how should do you think that athletes should have already practiced with their fuel at this point um what if they aren't practicing with any fuel how can they correct this yeah, it's a good question. I think most people, you know, who've done a, a few marathons or half marathons, they kind of have, they know what works for them or what they've used in the past for races. And so, um, you know, hopefully they can, they can, you know, access that same stuff. Maybe for myself, it's usually like, uh, just the cliff shots, vanilla or the humid, humid chia seeds gels. So, you know, the tough thing about that right now is if your local running stores are closed, you may not be able to get access to it and who knows what the inventory is like online, but hopefully you're able to, um, you know, access that somehow. So you can start to incorporate it if you haven't and you do have a fall race coming up because we definitely want to be using that stuff for our long runs. Really any run, you know, I would use it on workout days myself, but any run over 90 minutes for sure. And then um, we want to practice our fueling in the morning as if as if we're going into like a race. So for example, if I have a workout day and um, I want to practice my whole routine like I normally would for uh, the race that way, um, if you get to the to the actual event, your body is kind of in a rhythm. It knows what it's about to go through. So I think plan all, everything is from your breakfast to your, you know, your hydration, your bathroom, all that, have that planned. And if you haven't really been thinking about that stuff, let's say you just have, you've just been getting up running kind of without eating. Um, you haven't been feeling for long runs, any of that. I think now's the time to start and, um, you know, be strategic about, um, your route so that you can access that, whether that's at your car or back home or wherever. And so, um, starting to bring the stuff that you would want on a, um, for your race or whatever they're offering on the course, if it's going to be Gatorade, you know, trying to fuel with that during your long run. Yeah, that's all really good advice. And I'm someone who, uh, you know, a little bit different than you. I've been caught in the trap so many times before. During a marathon training cycle, where I'm like, well, I'm fine on my 14, 15, 16, 17 mile runs. I don't need anything. And, you know, maybe towards the end of my 20 miler, I start to get a little bit like, fatigued in the nutritionary but I'm like whatever I'm fine um but I I used to not practice with fuel I'd just be like whatever I'll just do it on race day don't really care because I have a pretty strong stomach um like I can literally take pretty much any gel goo whatever um and so that might be you listening you're just like whatever like I'll just wing it all that stuff that's fine um but just letting you know that once I did start actually fueling on some of my long runs and then also having a fueling plan on racing and being prepared bringing my own gels um, my times improved by like 10 minutes and that's coming from someone who is already like you know in the 320s for a marathon 
um, because it is really important and you, you might be fine. You are fine on a 15, 16, 17 mile run, especially if you're going at an easy pace, you will be completely fine. I, I can guarantee you most people will be fine. But the problem is that a 16 mile run and a 26.2 mile race are two totally different ball games here. So you need to be practicing in your long runs for what you're going to do on race day. And so you might think, oh, whatever, I'll just do it on race day. But if you never practice it, your body's going to not know what is going on on race day. And you're going to be putting stuff in your body and your body's going to be like, what? We've never ran at this pace using fuel. We've never ran at this pace and drank water. Um, and you don't know how your body is going to react. And for me, the first like 15 miles of a marathon, I used to feel totally fine. And then boom, all of a sudden, don't know what would happen. I would get very, very nauseous. And I'm like, what is going on? I could never figure it out. Um, one of my last marathons, before uh, I had Chase, uh, my first child, I ran like, I, I literally threw up at mile 27 or at mile 17 because of the fluid. I, I just couldn't keep it down. And the reason being is that when I was doing my long runs, I was not, I was drinking some water, but it was very, um, just not enough. It was like maybe like one or two here, you know, sips from a drinking fountain, um, And that was a really miserable experience because I never experienced nausea on any of my training runs. But the thing is, is you have to practice how you're going to race. And so if you're going to go out on all of your your training runs and not drink any water and not use any fuel, and then you go on marathon day and you start taking the water cups at mile like four, your body has never ran with that much liquid in your stomach. And it's like hard. It's like, don't try anything new on race day. Um, And so that really stuck with me. And then, you know, after giving birth and doing my um, first and second postpartum marathons, um, I ended up running a PR, you know, 12 months after giving birth. And a lot of it had to do with, you know, I, I swallowed my pride and my ego. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to stop at home and I'm going to drink water and Gatorade, you know, for 20 seconds, 30 seconds. I'm going to stop my watch because I used to like hate stopping my watch. So I'd stop my watch, just chug it quick um, a lot. Like I would try to finish, you know, probably 32 ounces within a two hour run, which, you know, a lot of people are like, that's not a lot. But for me, that was a lot. Um, and then just getting used to running with liquid in your stomach. And, and I remember the first time I did it, it was really uncomfortable. And I was like, geez, I just don't know if this is going to like pay off on race day. And lo and behold, on race day, I did not have any nausea whatsoever. I of course had other issues <laughs> like, you know, running a marathon's hard enough, you know, your IT band flares up, whatever. But I think the fact of the matter is, if this is just one thing that you can knock out and make sure that on race day, it's going to go well, um, it's going to make your race day a lot easier because there could be other things you have to battle um, on the course or whatever. Like maybe, you know, you're not feeling as great as you you thought you were going to on race day. Um, if you already don't feel as great as you thought you were going to feel, and then you start having nausea and all these other things, it just makes like for the worst race day ever. So I just encourage people to, you know, be proactive and, and learn from my mistakes because this is super common. And I hear this all the time. My athletes or you know, even family members will be like, I don't fuel, I don't fuel at all. And then, you know, on race day, it's like, how did you feel? And they're like, well, I felt good until mile, you know, whatever. And that seems to be a common story. Um, and usually it's a report of, you know, feeling nauseous, feeling this, feeling that. Um, so these are just things that you can do right away. Really encourage you to start doing it on 
at least every other long run, um, especially if you haven't been doing it at all. Um, and it's okay to stop your watch and drink water for 30 seconds, 40 seconds, right? Like that's what I, I did. And I still was able to run, you know, a 313 marathon. It doesn't, you know, your heart rate's not getting that low if all you're doing is stopping for water. In fact, you know, if you do it fast enough, stopping for water and drinking it, you're like not even breathing. So it's kind of like, you know, your heart rate's not getting low. Um, it's really important to practice that. So what about, you know, it's, it's hot out, people are sweating. I'm talking about drinking water. You know, sometimes the water falls all over you. You know, you saw, you're just a sweaty mess, right? Like you're out there for two hours, it's hot. Um, chafing, like let's talk about that. Like what do people do if they're chafing? Um, where do you normally chafe if you do it all? And how do you combat that? Is that just like a reality of distance running? Like deal with it? Or are there certain solutions that you have found over the years? Yeah, it's a really good point. I think, um, you know, a lot of times I'll kind of forget that that even happens. And one day I'll get caught in the rain or I'll do like a really long run and, and, I'll, and I'll sweat and I'll wear like a shirt that I'm not used to wearing. Um, and so that'll cause me to chafe a little bit. And typically where I experience it, just around the armpits and then kind of my nipple area, that would be the only areas um, that I've had, you know, fortunately felt that. But basically for me, I think, you know, it's, it's a good reminder to be wearing some of the same clothes that you would wear for a race. And I've, I've noticed certain singlets before, they just don't go well with, with the fit neath, underneath the armpit. I don't know what it is. And so mm-hmm. you want to make sure that whatever you might plan to race in, you're kind of training in, you're doing long runs in, because sometimes it can take a long run of, you know, an hour plus or close to two hours for it to even start to affect you. And so if you're just running your 30 to 45 minute runs in that, that may not be long enough, but I think um, as far as being smart about, you know, I know guys, a lot of them use like the nippies pads that they can put on their nipples or um, the, uh, what's the blue, the body glide is very popular. And so that's what I've used to kind of prevent um, chafing, especially I, I bring that, like I bring gloves to, you know, a marathon just because it's, it's got to go in my, my um, race gear package that I pack. So bring the body glide. You could wear that before long runs for sure. Um, if it's going to rain, I would highly suggest that, but you know, it's a good point to think about training, you know, in the same type of apparel and not just clothes, but socks and shoes too, that you would for the the race, because you don't want to wear something that all the sun is going to cause you like blisters or, um, you know, something like that, where all of a sudden you have a hot spot on the bottom of your foot. And I know that's very common with people, especially if they're wearing like the 4% or whatever, they're not used to doing any sort of workouts in them or runs that are, you know, even decently measured like a 10 mile run, for example. So I, w- I wouldn't wear them for like every single long run, but you should mix that, mix those same shoes in your rotation um, every now and then so that on race day, you're kind of used to wearing them. Um, Cause yeah, you don't want to have your race experience be ruined by something like chafing or blister on your foot. Yeah, that's really good advice. And I like how you were kind of, talking about how some singlets you chafe for whatever reason and other singlets you don't because I've experienced the same thing where I'm like why in this singlet like there's nothing about it it's not like the fabric is like bad like you think you wouldn't and then boom all of a sudden you chafe and you wouldn't know it like you said until you run in the thing for two hours and it's like that's what it takes sometimes so it's it is really important to um, you know, rotate through a few singlets, whatever you think you're going to wear on race day, um, or t-shirts or whatever you plan on wearing on race day, just to see kind of how your body reacts to it over, you know, running for two hours. And I, I do think two hours is a good rule of thumb there. Um, because there's some things that just happen after that, uh, 90 minute threshold that 
don't normally happen um, on an everyday run. So using the body glide, like you said, just kind of being smart about different cuts of shirts. So let's say you're someone who has run a marathon or a half before and you chafe really bad. Maybe avoiding shirts that are a similar cut or a similar fabric or just avoiding that shirt in general, right? Um, I know some people, uh, women, they, they chafe between their legs too. Um, this is an issue I've had before. And it really just depends on like kind of where my racing weight is. So I'm pregnant right now. Um, literally the day I get pregnant, all of a sudden my legs will chafe uh, in between my legs and I have to move to longer shorts, um, closer to like knee length shorts. And that's just what works for me. I can put as much body glide um, between my legs as possible, but you're still going to chafe. Um, and that's just the reality of the situation for some people. And so wearing longer shorts or capris is a great option. I know in the summer capris are horrible, but if you just get like a, I think an eight inch shorts or a 10 inch inseam instead of the six inch, um, it makes a huge difference and it makes you a lot more comfortable and you're just not going to chafe um, because you don't have the skin rubbing together like that. Um, some people, you know, you're maybe looking at Instagram or whatever and, and they can get away with just wearing super short shorts and they never chafe. And, you know, a lot of that has to do with kind of how people's hips are. You know, some people have really wide hips and their legs don't touch. Um, and usually that's the case for me. Like when I'm running, I'm not pregnant or, you know, I'm at racing weight. I don't chafe in between my legs for whatever reason. So just knowing your body and wearing things that that fit um, for your body and kind of like what is going to make you the most comfortable because you definitely don't want to be chafing in between your legs on race day. Um, I once ran Twin Cities Marathon one year and I wore these shorts and they just were so bad for chafing for whatever reason and it rained that day and it was just like why did I do this and you know they're bleeding after and you so you just don't want to be chafing to the point of like bleeding so just avoiding that by making sure you're testing these things on your, your longer runs, your medium long runs to make sure they, they really work. Um, another thing that people like to bring up more so during non-COVID-19 years, obviously, because there's a lot of race cancellations right now, but a lot of people want to know about like testing their fitness before the marathon. Like how do they discover their race day goals? I know we're going to do a separate podcast on this later in the fall and into people's tapering cycles, but I think it's good to address this, like how, how should people figure out when they should race, if they should race during a marathon training cycle and how should they figure out like their goal marathon pace and all that type of stuff? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. There's several answers. It's, you know, especially this year, um, without, with all the unknowns, um, you may not get an opportunity to race and, um, you know, some people are, are, they really want to do races throughout their training cycle just as a way to, kind of keep themselves going through that the process of racing but also um you know the mental benefits with preparing for the race and just you know dealing with how how your race goes and trying to learn from that and um execution and pacing all that so there's a lot of benefits to racing um and i think that as long as we don't overdo it it's okay to do a few races during like a traditional 16 week marathon cycle um i typically probably wouldn't do more than like two or three it just gets to be too many and you know as far as the distance goes i, I think it's okay to do um it is okay to do a marathon like if your training's or a half marathon rather if your training's been going really well and you you feel like you're in shape you want to go after a pr i've had i've had athletes do that and they've pr and they've ran good halves and then they've come back and pr in their fulls um but you know it really will depend on so many factors the weather how healthy you've been um, a lot of people will run a half maybe and they'll do it as a workout. I think that's pretty common where they'll incorporate a, a you know, significant portion of that run at, at marathon pace. Um, maybe towards the end, they'll, they'll hammer down um, on the tired legs just to see if they can pick it up. So 
Um, you know, there's obviously people want to do a 5k, maybe here and there or 10k. And I think those are fine, but we don't want to start doing multiple races, um, because then it's going to start to cut into the training. I think the training is the most important part. Um, as far as when to do them, I know, I think we've done a podcast on that in the past, but we definitely want to space them out. And, you know, I know one year Victoria and I, we were super fit and we ended up doing a 5k the week before Boston that was actually nine days before since Boston's on a Monday, but, um, and that didn't seem to affect us at all. I think we both ran well at Boston, but, um, I probably wouldn't do that again. And I wouldn't normally do that. So typically would do nothing that lasts those last three weeks, just cause I want, I want to start to taper after my, um, you know, after my final 20 mile run or my longest run of the cycle. And then, um, maybe a half, like five weeks out, six weeks out, something like that. It's a pretty good time frame. You could do a 10 K like eight to 10 weeks out. I think that that's pretty good. Um, five K really could happen whenever it just depends on how you approach the race. But, um, as far as like thinking about your race day goals, you know, if you're a person that kind of needs to always be thinking about it to keep you motivated to run and to get out the door. Um, I think that that it's okay to be thinking about it now, or even two months ago, just, um, I know for me, that's something that's kind of always in the back of my head. I don't really think about it too much, but you know, when I'm out there and I keep thinking about like, why am I still doing this? You know, it's been so many years. You have that long-term goal kind of in the back of your head. Um, and you just, you just convince yourself, like, I'm just slowly chipping away. And during the right time, hopefully I can get to a place where I can put together a pretty good cycle and, um, you know, execute a race and, and reach that goal. So whether that's this year, next year, or two years from now, I still think that that's, that's good to be thinking about. Um, as far as like waiting and to see where your fitness kind of has led you and then determining, you know, a race day execution plan. I think that that wait, that, that can wait a little bit longer, um, until we get closer to your marathon and then we can start to come up with some, some goals based on, um, the direction your training's been. Yeah, that's all really good to, you know, think about half marathon can be a little tricky to do during a marathon training cycle. Um, You definitely don't want to leave your marathon race in a workout. And sometimes that can happen if you have half marathon on the schedule and you go all out on it. Um, I know this kind of happened to me before, but everyone's different. I've also had the reverse happen where it's like half marathon is really good to do leading up and it, it kind of boosts your confidence there. So it just depends, but just knowing it's kind of a little bit on that risky end, yes. but just knowing kind of what you're getting into, I wouldn't do one a half marathon any sooner than four weeks out from your marathon, just to allow yourself some time to really recover from that. Um, but you know, as far as those shorter races, I definitely think it's good to kind of have those on a calendar. Um, that way you can kind of test your fitness, see where you're at. Um, it also gives you a break from doing one of those super long runs. So it can be like on a cutback week, um, and just kind of boosting your confidence there. I would recommend doing one, um, you know, with the hot weather, it just is really going to vary from state to state, but I would do one when the temperatures kind of start to drop. That way you're getting a more accurate read on your fitness. Um, there might not be any races like we kind of talked about earlier in this podcast. So you might end up doing more of like a virtual time trial by yourself, which is great. Um, you can compare that to kind of where you were at, uh, this spring. I know we had a bunch of uh, virtual races starting as early as, I think it was March 28th was the first one, or maybe the March 21st was our first virtual race. So maybe you participated in any of those. Um, You kind of have a benchmark of where you were in March. And so, you know, as we're approaching more of September, it might be a good idea to, you know, revisit that distance and kind of see where you're at. 
if the temperatures kind of allow for that, you know, if you're still sitting at 80, 90 degree weather, maybe it's not the best time to race. Um, just because you want to make sure it's going to do the right thing. So we don't want to like burn you out. We don't want to get you kind of in a dark spot, <laughs> you know, doing a race in 90 degrees, uh, isn't exactly going to be an accurate reading on your fitness. Um, and it can be a little bit dangerous there. So I would wait until, you know, you get that first 60, 65 degree day, um, in the morning, you know, if possible, go out there, get your time trial in. Um, you know, if it is going to be a little warmer, I opt for maybe a little bit shorter distance. Um, it just really depends on the person, but I think using, you know, a, a race from, you know, that you've done in the past that you want to beat, that's always a fun one to, um, try to do. And then it also gives you kind of like a benchmark of, where you're at in terms of where your fitness is now compared to the last time you did it. So let's say last time you were in a marathon training buildup, you did, you know, a 5k eight weeks out and you ran, you know, 23 minutes. Um, let's say you do the same thing again. And this time you run 22 minutes, you can kind of take whatever, you know, your average pace was per mile. Let's say you improve 20 seconds per mile. Uh, you can say, you know, you're 20 seconds per mile shaped faster. So whatever your marathon pace was going into your last marathon, you know, you can shave off 20 seconds per mile. Uh, sometimes, you know, marathons don't go as planned. So let's say you just totally bonked at your last marathon. You ran horribly. I'm talking about what was your goal going into that marathon? Was it realistic? Uh, then adjusting your goals from there. I think races are really fun to do in the buildup. And I think they're also important because they allow you to push yourself um, and really test your limits. And sometimes going into your first half or your first marathon um, in a while after not racing, it can kind of be like, wait, how do I do this? How do I, you know, give 100% effort? Um, so I think races are really important. But I think this kind of wraps up our podcast. We just want to do a check-in with how everyone's doing and give some advice for, you know, the peak marathon training that is to come for the next two to three months here. And if anyone has any questions, they want a little bit of motivation or support, you can visit our website at www runforprs.co. You can fill out the form on our website and get a free seven-day trial. Um, we'd also just be happy to chat with you about any of your training questions. Um, we have coaches full-time on staff that want to talk to you and get to know about your running goals. So thanks for tuning in.